folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today, boy, we got an exciting episode for you guys. Wait, I've wait. been so. Are we just going to pretend like last week never happened? Uh, what, what are you talking about? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we got an exciting episode for you guys. Uh, this is one that I've been looking forward to pretty much since we started the podcast today. We're going to talk about the big debate that is at the heart of almost everything, which is capitalism versus socialism. Mm. And, uh, I got to say, like, I'm so excited about this because this is one of the places where since you and I differ the most. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as much common ground as we are able to find, I think that people's outlooks on that question, capitalism versus socialism, inform a lot of the other debates uh, sure. that we have, whether you're talking about you know race relations or, or what have you, pay gaps, feminism, yeah, sexism, if you're a, if, all if that you're stuff. for socialism, you know you don't have a job and you're lazy and you want other people to take care of you, and if you're for <laughs> capitalism, you work hard and lift yourself up by the bootstraps, right? That in, well, informs your whole position on everything. Uh, well, yeah. At the same time, uh, you know, you could flip that around and say that you know capitalists are heartless dicks, and ah. you know, social uh, people who advocate for socialism believe in social responsibility. That it's everybody's job to you know. Pick the lowest among us up. Sure. Know? Maybe it's a little so, bit of both. And yeah, maybe it's a little bit of both. And we'll see if that's where we end up, you know, once we sort through this. I know that uh, we have yet to, to uh, we're, we're close to like that middle ground, common ground position on, on in a lot of ways. But you and I have had so many of those vaunted porch conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much since this show started, and we actually had a four-hour one last night. And I think nothing gets us more heated than this one, too. I mean, we get on the verge of, like, yelling, and we're, like, yeah. bouncing up and down. Like, how could you know? What? Yeah, yeah. So hopefully we can kind of recreate some of that on the show uh, just by kind of talking through it and uh, seeing where we're at on these things. And 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 I think, again, you know, like, like we said with the show, um, you know, Put the example out there because at some point this conversation has to get resolved for this country and you know indeed the world to move forward. That's a really you good know, point. Humanity yeah. has to get through this conversation without trying to choke each other out. Yeah. So uh starting off, let's set some parameters, right? So yeah, I think that's really important. If we're gonna talk about capitalism and socialism, we have to define capitalism and socialism, uh, at least for us and, and for our listeners so they can follow along. Absolutely. Uh, capitalism is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods by investments that are determined by private decision and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market. Right. And then socialism is any of various economic and political theories advocating uh, collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. And I and I want to I want to make a very clear distinction right here before we move on. There is a difference between socialism and communism. Communism is is typified by having one party in control at the top of what would otherwise be a socialist system, kind of you know dominating, setting prices, and so on and so forth. But it's much more prone. Uh, to authoritarianism. I mm. mean, it, it's almost like inherent when you're talking about full-on communism. Whereas a lot of places get by on democratic socialism, and arguably, you know, we have a, a bit of a sliver of that here as well. Yeah, um, right. that that doesn't tend to run authoritarian yeah. uh, by default. You know, well, by nature, so socialism does not preclude 
uh, you know, voting and, and, and having other parties that may come into power, whereas communism does. I mean, it's, it's very much so there is the state. It's represented by a party. You know, think of classic Russia. You right. Know? And Russia, yeah, we could get into that debate all day. It ebbed and flowed. At times it was more like that. At times it was less. But at, at the end of the day, that's the closest thing we've ever seen to a communist state. And there is a difference between what they're doing and what a place like, uh, you know, England's doing right now or Denmark or any right. of the Nordic countries or even what we see in Venezuela. So uh, just to be clear really quick, those types of places would be more of a social democracy, a democratic welfare state that incorporates both capitalist and socialist practices. Right. And that, that welfare state sounds like a dirty word to me for some reason. Like, Well, in, in fairness, I mean, that that is largely propaganda. I mean, you know, welfare in and of itself, it has all these connotations that are attached to it. And I would hope that, you know, we, we get to a point where we can look at it objectively. You know what I'm saying? And, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I hold a lot of the opinions that led to those negative attachments, right. but I'm also able to understand that welfare is not a dirty word. Like it, you, you, for instance, you know, social security, and I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit. That is welfare that is arguably over the last 70 years produced a whole lot of good, right? right. 80 years. But oh, yeah. I think you look at programs like WIC, Mm-hmm. Um, like food stamps, you know, and you, you'll get a tax on those things. But I think most people understand that a, a family making $30,000 a year uh, needs a little help. And right. I don't think many people out there, uh, besides the farthest right extremists, are arguing that we should, you know, totally eliminate food stamps or yeah. uh, totally eliminate WIC. Yeah. Um, so I think we've largely, as a country, agreed um, that, you know, some form of social welfare uh, contribution of our tax money, our earnings, um, to the common good uh, is necessary, and it yeah. benefits us all, right? I mean, we don't want not only do, do do the rich with their pinkies up sipping their tea want to see you know scores of homeless when they come through the town, yeah. Um, but I, I think we're all served when the masses of society are in a place where they can be good, decent people. Yeah. And if you're starving, you can't do that, right? Um, right. You just can't. You know, yeah. I mean, you've got to eat, and you're going to find ways to eat. I, I think I think as we have this conversation, uh, you know, again, there are those two extreme sides that will that will skew heavily one way or the other. But it's important to remember that America is a social democracy. Mm. The question, the argument that we're having is like, how much of one are we? Are we going to be more like the European countries or are we going to skew, you know, less towards the social side and more towards the capitalist side? So it's a question of degrees within, like you said, a framework that we've already accepted that, that the most unfortunate among us need a little bit of help from the government, from the state, right. at least, you know? So um, starting out, I think the easiest way to do this is to just, just lay it out there. Like, in your opinion, what's wrong with capitalism? Well, I mean, I think you, you already kind of hit the nail on the head. First off, we're not in a pure capitalist system. Mm-hmm. So... I think saying, you know, what's wrong with capitalism in the context of America is is kind of missing missing that point. Like capitalism might be okay, unfettered capitalism, but but we're not living that system. Instead our government like under the influence of lobbyist money and stuff, mm-hmm. uh we we consistently create barriers to the competition that that capitalism requires, you know, by definition. Um, and, and it ends up entrenching the big guy and, you know, the small guy can't afford lobbyists. 
Um, and and somehow, I don't know why, we still call it capitalism, even though it's the worst of capitalism for, for the average guy and the small guy, and it's the best of capitalism for the big guy. Well, I'd say we, we accept it, but in fairness, uh, you know, people who defend capitalism would decry that as well. They call it crony capitalism. Right, your ANCAPs, and, your libertarians. Yeah, yeah, and so basically that means, but it's all in how you view it, right? Because what they see is the problem there is that, you know, government has gotten into bed with the corporations, and the corporations are able to use the government as a tool, like you said, to eliminate competition and stuff. That's, right. that's and I, a very real concern. Yeah, yeah. I, tend, I tend to agree with that. The other, the other big problem with capitalism is, is greed. I mean, in a capitalist system, um, you charge whatever you can get away with. You make as much money as you can get away with, um, and, and you keep as much profit as you can. Uh, and, and, it, and it hurts people in a lot of cases. I mean, look at our favorite guy, Martin, Martin Shkreli. Shkreli. You know, if you can, if you own the patent on a, on a, a drug that people need to, to live mm-hmm. you can charge $900 a dose for it. You know, yeah. you, you charge yeah. whatever you possibly can. And I think that when we talk about capitalism versus socialism as systems that, that largely benefit uh, a global population, I think there are lots of places where capitalism fails the global population in favor of uh, enriching uh, the minor few. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think we can look at it across. I mean, you, you talk about the 1%, owning as much wealth as the whole 99% below them, you know, I don't think anyone can, can argue that that's healthy. Um, and now whether that's a, you know, a combination of crony capitalism um, or that would happen under capitalism itself, you know, I don't know. But I, I like to think like an ANCAP who believes there's no, you know, should be no regulations on market. I think that greed would be magnified. Um, you know, if we didn't somehow rein it in yeah, no, and control and I do, it. I do too, to tell you the truth. I mean, I think, uh, I think you would quickly see uh, situations, uh, you know, like under under the the ANCAP ideals, you would quickly see situations like in Africa where, you know, warlords dominate the area and just, you know, acquire, you know, whatever means, whatever wealth there is, and, and they get consolidated. And you're right. There are parallels, uh, you know, in, in America with that, where you have people amassing huge amounts of wealth. Um, I would say, while I won't, you know, go as far as, as Gordon Gekko and straight up say that greed is good. Um, there are benefits to greed. I mean, mm. is there not? I mean, like greed is what motivates, you know, people to get out. So like what I, I, I don't, the, the, the question is not necessarily can greed go awry? Of course it can go awry. The question is, do we have a better incentive and a, be- a better motivator for people at large right now? Right. And, and I can see, you know, greed is definitely the motivating factor behind a lot of innovation. I don't think we'd I don't think we'd be where we're at with technology, uh, with medicine, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, with space flight without a profit incentive. You mm-hmm. know, there 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 are things that people won't do unless they can kick back on a beach and enjoy the fruits of their labor. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. Like. There's things that just just won't get done, and I you know I guess the question is how we balance those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to think that especially with uh, with medicine, um, you know, there are some things that are just worth protecting at you know at whatever expense. You know, if if we don't innovate as much in medicine, but you know, ten million people get to get to live through their diabetes today, like okay, you know, I'm okay yeah. with with ten years later 
maybe we improve somewhere. You know, I, I've, well, I feel it, like there's a balance what it to becomes, be had there. But specifically, let's say we're talking about, you know, prescription drugs or something like that. Those low-cost prescription drug prices. Let's, let's, you know, we're big fans of those. Let's put that in clear perspective, though. What you're talking about is trading off, you know, potentially uh, the lives of people in the future for the lives of people today. Sure. And, and you know, while, while I can understand a that. A bird in the hand, man. I'm just I, saying. Well, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's fair to say, but I mean, you know, saying I can alleviate your diabetes today, but hey, all you cancer patients, you got to wait 15 more years, you know what? 20 more I, years. I mean, you've, you've got a good point, but let's be honest about that, man, because pharmaceutical companies are pocketing, you know, $900 million. They're not spending it a lot of times on research. I mean, they are. Sure, they're researching new drugs all the time, but when you look at the staggering amount of profits um, those, those profits aren't contributing to anything, you know, so money, actually I, I would beg to differ with you. Really money yeah. sitting in a, in an account in the Caymans that's, you know, not mm-hmm. taxed, untouchable, uh, untouched cash stores that rival the GDP of a small country. Like they're not being used to do any good <clears throat> I for can't, future people or now people. Here's the deal. I can't justify every bit of profits that the prescription drug industry makes because I think there are problems with with drugs i think there are places where they need to be reined in and i think some of it like we've said is crony capitalism however i will say that the profits that you know drug companies make is what encourages investment into that technology it I sure mean, that's does what makes it an attractive and a lucrative thing so we can sit here and harangue over the number but there is going to be a profit margin at the end right right and, and and it's going to attract investors, and, and and how big it is is going to correlate with how many investors it attracts. That's so if I'm sitting true. there looking at whether I should invest in the newest social media app, or whether I should invest in prescription drug prices, how much money I stand to make over here is definitely going to influence that. Right, and I understand that, and it's and it's kind of a double edged sword because I uh, ideologically, like at my core, um, you know, this idea that it takes money to make money. And, uh, you know, all you got to do is throw your $40,000 in, in an investment in the right investments. And, you know, 10 years later, you're, you're twice as rich. Like, to me, there's something wrong with that. And, and it even flies in the face of capitalism itself. You know, I feel like um, the idea is to work hard and make money. But when you just throw money at something and then, boom, you've got money back 10 years later, mm-hmm. um, you know, that seems really scummy to me, especially since the people at the bottom don't have that luxury. You know, who, who among the, the bottom 50% of Americans has, you know, 20 grand to stuff in a, uh, in an investment account. But, but what they, what they do have is the ability to come up with a good idea, sure. find that investor. And then, you know to what I'm saying? Come up with a good idea and then get sharked for it. You know what I I'm mean, saying? I mean, I mean, let's like, be honest, man. Well, you come up but, with a good idea. And if you're lucky, you sell it to someone who recognizes its value and can actually put it into play. but. I mean, I don't. I mean, it happens every day. It does. You know, I mean, and millionaires are made, right? But uh, I still feel like you know the super soaker uh, probably made that guy millions of dollars, but it made Mattel or whoever you know the the, whoever the company that that produced it and and sold it and marketed it made them twenty times as much. Well, what and who produced the real value there? The guy that that created the super super soaker or the company that had the you know, the ability to put it in stores and well, market it. Well, the question is, could he have attained what he attained without having them to market it and put it in stores? Not as quickly. 
You know what I'm. You know, well, not as quickly. And, and he maybe doesn't not have at all. Maybe chain. he doesn't have manufacturers. Maybe and, over the lifetime of the Super Soaker, maybe not at all. Maybe not at all. Maybe not. You know, at if all. we're talking about a smaller regional toy company, something like that. So I mean, at, at that point, like it, you're upset that they got a bigger piece of the pie than you feel like they should be entitled to. And I, I say, if he has, if the guy would come up with the Super Soaker idea, idea. If he has markedly improved his life and gotten, you know, gotten to a point that's way better than where he started. So like, as long as he improves some. Yeah. All is good. And, well, and I not, guess, I mean, if he enters into an agreement that he, you know, that's agreeable to him, I think that's fine. So long as he wasn't coerced. Yeah. As know? long as he wasn't coerced. I think, though, in the in the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about how big companies and corporations have become, uh, I, I don't, you know, there are barriers to to getting that big you know mm-hmm. so sure a small guy can raise up you can be a millionaire sure but is the small guy going to be a jeff bezos you know what i'm saying yeah. is the small guy going to be a, a steve jobs i mean i guess steve jobs was a small guy once right yeah I, so was jeff bezos <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know maybe so maybe so uh but there's just there's something wrong at the core it feels wrong to me yeah um especially when we're giving you know tax breaks to people who make money by putting money in a, in a, in stock markets. You know, we talked yeah. about the, uh, you know, what was it? Some, some kind of tax on, on earnings, uh, in inverse inflation or yeah, something. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they were, they were offering tax breaks to folks who were making money on their money, just sitting there, you know? Yeah. And, and I say just sitting there, but I gotta, I gotta admit it's being used to create products and to, to innovate in some ways, you yeah. know, there, there is that. I, I do believe that the, the tax code is, is horribly skewed. Um, I, I understand why it's horribly skewed, but I think in a sense, um, it's like I said, you know, like I said, with that last tax bill on a previous episode that, you know, Trump and them passed, <laughs> you're, the idea is you're going to cut how much money you make. And then go and decide how you're going to cut spending and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's completely backwards. Like until we get the spending fixed, then we need to have the money to pay for it. And, and, and possibly even in some places, just because I want to see the size of government and the size of spending decrease doesn't mean that I'm going to fight every increase that comes up. You know what I'm saying? Right. You got to pick your battles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, no, I I definitely think, uh, we could do a, a way better job. Uh, uh, taxing people and also closing the loopholes, which again, I think falls under that category of crony capitalism. You know, again, here we are, the rich, the elite are using the government to help them amass that wealth. The question really is, is that always going to invariably happen? Because if we can fix it at all, then why not fix the system we have? (laughs) I mean, it's like banging your head against a wall though, because the only way to really truly access politicians and influence uh politically you gotta have an army of lobbyists and lobbyists are expensive that's true so yeah it's gonna happen because the people who have money are invariably lobbying to keep their money and make more money what else are they gonna spend money lobbying for no that's that's absolutely true i mean i don't i don't think and sure we could we can talk about getting money out of politics but you're asking politicians to get money out of politics like I yeah. think you're you're ludicrous if you think that's ever going to happen. Maybe it will. I mean, we got a couple springing up here and there that are, you know, yeah. that are that are supporting that. But uh, you know, heck, you go to D.C., you got a fucking cow with all these people and dress fancy and live in a nice spot. D.C. is expensive. 
Senator's salary is what one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. Uh, uh, representative is. I'm not. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. So so and, and then and then look at how many people in Congress are millionaires now on one hundred eighty thousand yeah. dollars a year in the right. highest cost of living place on the East Coast. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, no, it's it's definitely skewed against us. For yeah, sure. it is but absolutely. I think, I think a lot of the things that we've talked about on the show over the past year, uh, I I think that's how you go at it. I mean, I really do. I think you start. You, you change how we vote. You make sure that we add more value to how we vote. And I think that whether we're talking about a capitalist system or a socialist system or, or whatever we end up doing, it's, it's always going to be moot if we're not paying attention and being active participants, right? Yeah, so, I mean, I so, so I see that like when that argument gets tossed out and it's like, well, what are you going to do with your politicians? It's like, well, well, then we have to rest those mechanisms that we put in place for us to control our politicians and use them. Yeah. And, and, and to me, I mean, like to go to say, you know, let's let's go the socialist route or we need to do this. That That's almost like saying, um, yeah, we're going to end run around it. You know what I mean? Like we're not we're not dealing with the problem, like in, in a sense, like what we're doing is we're going to change the way it looks. And then maybe this new system won't be corrupted. And I think that's silly because I think. You're right. Those politicians who like that power and that wealth, they're in charge of the socialist system. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like that that's what bothers me about that. Well, and I think right now, I mean, we have very largely a system that that socializes losses for huge business and privatizes the gains, right? I mean, right. when these when these industries are too big to fail, and and we look at them and say, oh, but think of all the jobs we'll lose if we let them and then we hand them, you know, 32 billion dollars yeah. out the door. And then and then complain about welfare or, you know, complain about socializing health care. It's just it's ludicrous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in a free market system, those businesses should absolutely fail. You messed right. up, you know, right. You, you no, did absolutely. the you took a risk and you lost lose. But if if we then bail you out. Well, remember, remember that that was the peace bridge for the Occupy movement was that everybody in the Occupy movement thought that those businesses should have been allowed to fail. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I see, like, so if, if there's a reasonable horseshoe, it's right there. Because, yes, people who believe in the free market system hated that every bit as much. Now, you know, we got warped and skewed and all that good stuff, and then we started arguing in our perfect little partisan things. But, but that was that yeah, one I, moment of unity that we had I there. think those people who believe in the free market system, and I'm—, I'm I'm generalizing hugely, but hmm. I think those are those are the people who've got money to to throw in the stock market, and they don't want GM to fail because they're going to lose their you know hundred thousand dollars in GM stock. Like, well, the people at the top, but I'm talking about the people at the bottom who were at Occupy. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 sure. But I mean, there are people who believe in the free market system. I, I count myself one of them, and I have no stock in any company anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and I and I I want to be clear. I largely do believe in a free market system. I think it works for a lot a lot of things. Um, as long as as long as people are educated about what they're buying, um, you know, it works. And as long as there aren't barriers to competition, as long as you can go get what dude's got, you know, if he's selling it for for twenty dollars more than it's worth, and you can drive down to Georgia and get the same thing. And come back and sell it for ten dollars less than his. Then, then eat his cookies, you know, yeah, eat his yeah. lunch, and right. and eventually we balance out, and and someone's gonna make enough profit for it to be worth it to him, mm-hmm. and the price is now gonna be cheap. But I I don't think that's the way it ends up functioning, uh, especially with like technology being such a, a high, just such high barriers to entry all over the place in technology. Um, you know, you, you look at the browser wars. 
Look at, uh, you know, Microsoft Internet Explorer versus Apple's Safari um, and all the nonsense that that went into that. You know, uh, Windows was packaging the browser, forcing people to use their browser on Windows computers. And, you know, and granted, the courts sort of sorted that out. But you saw Internet Explorer reign for like 10 years straight. Yeah. Um, And it was it was because of that. And they got a slap on the wrist fine Mm -hmm. um, and went about their business. But I don't think any small guy could come to the table even now and create a browser. It'd take a team of, you know, 100 people 10 years to to create a browser. So, you know, I I think there are places where where capitalism fails, and it's up to us um, to find something that that works in its stead. Do you not think that if, um, let's say, so who's, who's, who would you say if you had to name two or three people, um, who's at the top of the browser game? Uh, I mean Google, yeah, uh, and Microsoft and Firefox, which is an open source right. browser. So, do you not think that if if Google and Microsoft continue on in this limited competition market that they're in, that their product won't, you know, inevitably become worse and worse and worse, and then someone with venture capital investment, you know, can invest in a sizable operation to try to overtake them. I mean, maybe so, you know, Chrome, Google's browser is, uh, is going that route right now for me. Like I I hate the direction it's going. Uh, they're forcing logins to, you know, Google services and stuff. It's, it's real weird and I don't like it and, and no one's buying a browser. So you're the product anytime. And there have been other competitors that have come to market with, uh, with new browsers and they've, they've, failed pretty spectacularly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and I don't know the reasons for that, um, but it, it doesn't seem to be happening. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just doesn't seem to be happening. I don't think that two, two browsers uh, dominating is competition. You know, duopoly isn't much better than yeah. monopoly. No, to it's, me. it certainly isn't. But I, I don't think, I don't think browsers really illustrate the point because for one browsers, you don't, you don't sell them. You know what I'm right. saying? There's no money exchanged, which is, you know, a little odd in itself, but I think we can look at uh, look at companies like Amazon. You know, mm-hmm. look at Bezos making one hundred ninety two thousand dollars a minute. I think is the official uh, estimation. Um, when when wealth and power gets concentrated, it can easily lead to some bad things. And I'm not saying Amazon Bezos has done some bad things, but it's it's getting a little weird, right? It's getting a right. little frightening. Bezos now owns uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, which operate roughly half of all websites. I don't know if they at least they they take up 42% of the the revenue share for cloud hosting. It's really hard to determine exactly how much, you know, goes through their infrastructure, but yeah, it's a I mean, lot. That's it's almost a, half. Yeah, a huge yeah. portion of the web. Um he's now bought the Washington Post, you know, mm-hmm. a newspaper. He has entered into a 600 million dollar contract with the CIA to buy out, uh, or I'm sorry, to build out uh, cloud infrastructure for our intelligence agencies. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is all really worrying. You know, it creates this situation where where he's got a propaganda mouthpiece with the Washington Post. He's got a cozy relationship with the CIA. Um, so, you know, he's not going to be running stories against the CIA on the Washington Post, I don't think, not if he right. wants to keep his contract. Um, and then you've got, you know, a situation where WikiLeaks was hosted on AWS and they released some State Department cables that, you know, the government was not very happy about. And Amazon dropped them from AWS. Right. So 
I, you know, I think that really clearly illustrates the problems with with concentrating mass amounts of wealth and power, and, and we're doing it in ways that are unprecedented. You know, sure, we could talk about Standard Oil. Um, you know, we can talk about monopolies and things, but I don't think we've ever seen uh, monopolies like we're seeing them now because the technology is a is a different animal. It's a different beast. Not only do people not understand it and how it works, so it's easy to kind of you know, get lost and, and not see the dangers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the dangers are far greater, um, than just paying, paying extra on your oil. Cause someone's got a monopoly and they want to hike up the prices. Well, but the, the question I think is, is, are those dangers necessarily like, it, it's kind of, let me, let me try to unwrap all that. Like, so I, I do believe that there is a problem with, with all out monopoly. Right. Um, I think that if the market doesn't bust them up before they, you know, attain a certain status and it's kind of, again, I go back, God bless that Supreme court justice. I can't believe I can't remember his name, but you know, I'll know it when I see it and you know, everybody kind of gets a feel for that and people have different marks and I understand that. Um, but I think some of the technology issues are technology issues and us, you know, learning how to deal with this emergent technology and and how it's acting and stuff. And if he doesn't have the mechanisms, like for instance, you said that the CIA contracted Amazon 600 million to, to do the nation's cloud infrastructure. Yeah. Well, somebody, somebody's going to be doing it, whether it's Bezos or not. Now, you know, the fact that he owns that paper and the fact that he has that other company and uh-huh. stuff that, that adds to it. They start adding but up. Man. I don't think that changes what happened to WikiLeaks, right? I mean, I think whatever company has that contract, there is a pretty good chance that they're going to do the government's bidding. I mean, it's it's fine when the government pressures them in, in the ways the government can pressure them. But if the government well, is I don't, giving I don't think them... it's fine, though. It's, it's, no, I mean, yeah. you know, a government's yeah. going to pressure people to do what it wants. You know, that's that's yeah. what they do. But when you're directly engaged in a, you know, a half a billion dollar contract, that's a mighty lot of pressure. That's a yeah. mighty lot of pressure to be leveraging, especially yeah, well, when that person also runs one of the biggest newspapers in the nation. But I'm saying like, I, so I understand how the paper can, can play into that and how it can provide him cover. But any company that takes that on presumably is going to have somewhere close to a half a billion dollar contract. Sure. So, I mean, and you know, you cited often what happens with you know, when we talk about Bezos, people like to, would you say it was 192,000 a minute? 192K a minute. Okay. So again, I understand the issues with monopolies and I understand how they can warp a free market. But to me, the emphasis that gets put on how much money this guy's making is somewhat immaterial, somewhat immaterial, because here's the thing. If we were to clean up politics, if we were to clean up lobbying, then that money wouldn't have an avenue necessarily to 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 make the manipulations that it's making. I mean, I don't know, man. You're talking about a dude with with more wealth than some nations. Yeah. You know, I mean, a guy who could probably whip up a private army in in a matter of months. I mean, I I mean, maybe in, a mercenary in- army buying weapons from I mean, he could buy nukes from from North Korea for God's sake. I, I don't know. I imagine he could, and <laughs> and the world would land on him with both feet. I mean, good. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, like the government's not going to tolerate Jeff Bezos taking over anything. You well, know what I mean, what if what if the government decides to to you know co-op Jeff Bezos and his wealth to 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 take over 
countries in Africa. You know, I don't know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You need, and it's like it's like with all these other things. You need um, the government to go awry, and what we have control of is the government. <laughs> sort of. Well, that's the idea. Uh, that's well, what we're trying. If to we achieve. fix lobbying, we you know, you know I mean? yeah. maybe we do wrestle some of that control right. back. But as it stands, we don't. We don't have control. The the lobbyists have control, and the lobbyists are being paid by the moneyed masters. Yeah. Well, I'm saying let's fix that instead I of worrying about how much Bezos is making. Yeah. Is what I'm, well, is what I, I'm getting at. I just can't imagine like anyone making $192,000 a minute. You know, you're, he is not working. When we're talking about a system that rewards hard work with, with value, I cannot imagine any work output any human on earth is doing that justifies $192,000 a minute. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. He's, he's, he's getting over somewhere. He's, he's doing that thing where people are uneducated and they don't know that they're being fleeced and ripped off. He has in, to be. In some respects, I'm sure. But at be. the same time, he's he also... He is extracting wealth that he does not deserve to be making that much money. Not necessarily, because he's creating a lot of value to a lot of people. He's, he's pushing prices down in places. You know what I mean? He's, he's creating job opportunities he's you know there's all sorts of value that he is adding to the economy we actually host the podcast with aws and it costs us about two dollars a month right now which is cheaper than any you know any hosting solution anywhere so you know you do you do have a a point there um i just don't think (sighs) and you know there's one other thing that i want to circle back to is you said he is extracting wealth right and i think that 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 is one of the traps that that people fall into and it's the idea of the zero sum economy right sure that that the economy is zero sum the economy is not it has zero to be sum. if you're charging someone money that money came from them and now it's minus them and it's plus to you but that's if if bezos has one hundred ninety two thousand dollars a minute someone is giving him that one hundred ninety two thousand dollars a minute but from their also, pockets it's minus and plus, but they have received value in return. They have received value in return, perceived value in return. But when we're, I'm talking about wealth, I'm talking about the actual representation of the money, the buying power. That's it's got to be zero sum. I don't see any other way ab- well, about it. It's it's uh, like I said, it's it's not. And I'll t- I'll show you how. Let's say again that uh, you know we're we're at a market, okay, and it's a lot easier. What what messes it up, I think, is the idea of money. Right, because that that complicates things. But let's take it back to bartering. If I show up and I have a chicken, uh-huh. and you value my chicken uh-huh. more than your strawberries, and I I'm vice versa, we create we have a transaction and we have created wealth, and nobody had lost anything. You lost you, a chicken and you lost your strawberries. No, 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 <laughs> no. I gained strawberries and you gained chicken. Yes, there but- is no there is no loss. You still have strawberries then? The guy who, who traded the strawberries for the chicken still has strawberries? No, he has a chicken. Right. And he lost strawberries. But he didn't. No, that's not how that works, man. Why he, not? Because he has a chicken that is equivalent to the price of the strawberries. That is not a loss. It's a loss of strawberries. He can't eat a strawberry. He, oh, goodness, man. <laughs> and the guy who sells the chicken that's not, that's can't not the eat question. the chicken anymore. That's not the question, though. I mean, that, the, the question is, is it zero sum? No, because there's no loser. This per- person A got what they wanted. Person B got what they wanted. Yeah, but you show up. I, I, eh, eh. I, yes, they did get what they want. However, uh, if you didn't know the value of a chicken, say, uh, maybe a chicken in the rest of the world 
is worth one strawberry, but you showed up in a place that's never seen chickens, and now you're trading your chicken for 20 strawberries? Like, that's, that's what, you're just magically creating value? No, I'd say that person is losing value because he's trading 20 strawberries. He's losing his 20 strawberries instead of one strawberry, which is the true value of the chicken. Unless the chicken was worth 20 strawberries to him. Well, uh, that that's what I'm getting at, though. I mean, like, unless you're being coerced, you have made the transaction freely. You have decided that that's what it's worth to you. Now, you bring up a good point about, like, consumer education. And that is a place where I think, you know, America, that is a place where I would be excited to see the government invest money in helping consumers make better informed decisions. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that, uh, that is a problem that, that most certainly needs to be tackled. And that's places where you can have imbalances and things can go awry. But at no point, unless we're talking about coercion, is somebody, you know, walking into a transaction and not getting what they presumably wanted. I kind of disagree. I mean, cause, cause coercion, well, you're, you're right, but I think coercion comes in many forms. Um, you know, look at Adobe's software. They they went to a uh, a subscription model, right? Mm-hmm. And it used to be you could buy Adobe software. It was expensive. You'd spend a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks, but you'd own the software for life. They moved over to a subscription model where now you pay sixty bucks a month for infinity, and you always get the newest version of the program, right? Uh-huh. I hate that model. It it disgusts me. You know, right. I I absolutely abhor it. And I held out as long as I could. I used eight-year-old Adobe software for many, many years um, until I just I had to bite the bullet and and jump on board. So the, to me, that's coercion. There's no there's no competition for Adobe software. Um, right. You know, it's the professional standard for video editing, for audio editing. You know, we got to have it for the podcast. I got to have it for graphic design. So I, like I said, I'll admit that I don't know a whole lot. But let me just ask you: Are you saying that in that regard, Adobe has a monopoly? Absolutely, absolutely. Although there there are there's competition. It's just no good. I say, quote unquote, you know, there's a free, you can use GIMP, the free graphics editing program, but it's nowhere near what Photoshop is. And, and the barriers to entry to create a new Photoshop, Photoshop has been in production since, you know, I don't know exactly when, but I, gosh, 90, 91 or something, 92. So the barrier to entry is like 20 years of development. So what, okay. But what you're telling me is, is that there are there are alternatives, but ones that do not present enough value to you. So you've chosen Adobe. Yes. But you're saying that there is clearly a market for an alternative that can rival Adobe. There's just too the the barrier to entry there is is far far too high. Then that's what we fix. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, then that's what we. Attack. I mean, that's fine to say that. It's, it's but... not that the guy at the top of the Adobe hierarchy is an evil villain. Oh no, he absolutely you is. I, but... Because none of their customers wanted to go to a subscription model. They crunched the numbers and said, "Guys, we can print money." Right. Uh, and and they've got nowhere to go. So yes, they are evil. They're no, they're holding I... people hostage. They are coercing people because people rely on that for their livelihood. I, I don't see again. You said there were alternatives, uh, barely, right? But barely. I mean, they exist, barely. So it's it's not coercion. And secondly, I'll say again, the market is is able to is free to develop a competitor. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you got ten apparently, years and apparently you're going to be losing enough. money on on a team of a hundred people with a hundred and twenty thousand dollar a year salaries. Well, for are, 10 years. Are they going to make it back from as much demand as you're saying is present? Uh, maybe. You know, that's well, a gamble they'd have to take. But You know what I'm saying? Think about the capital requirements there. I mean, I, I understand, like, 
from a from a theoretical standpoint, what you're saying makes sense, right? But logistically and and realistically, it doesn't. I mean, you'd have to pull a Bezos. You'd have to lose money on Amazon for ten years until you're in the position. And, and he I, didn't look at where he's and at. And he did. Somebody yeah. will is is what I'm saying. I mean, like there there is historically, if you look at how people have come up, how businesses have rose and fell. There is all the evidence in the world that is what will happen. It may not be happening right this instant. I'm not sure it's there good for us. There may be a monopoly over there. There may be a monopoly over here. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. So another person comes up and 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 busts up the monopoly in 10 years. But in the meantime, I'm not sure it's good for us. I mean, the jobs that Amazon created, does that, you know, does that balance out the the wealth that I perceive as, as Bezos extracting. I mean, we can argue about whether it's zero yeah. sum or not, but that 192,000 a minute he's making would be in someone else's pocket if it wasn't in his. Be in um, a lot of people's no. pockets. It'd be paying for college educations. It'd be paying for all kinds of stuff. See, that's I mean, that is one of the places where I think we're we're just always going to differ, and it's that idea that it would necessarily be in somebody else's pocket, whereas I think it might not even necessarily exist. You know what I'm saying? Like what he is doing, what his business is doing is growing the economy. And when we talked about, you know, whether or not the economy was zero sum before I had mentioned the GDP of nations, like unless you believe that America's GDP can only increase at the cost of, you know, a decrease of, in of a decrease in, in the UK or something like that, then you instantly understand that wealth is being created. Right. So let's look at, you know, how much zuckerberg has zuckerberg has some ungodly amount of money that he has made off of facebook since he opened up that that you know the website mm -hmm. right well that money didn't you know it's not like it was directly taken from here and directly taken from there and now it doesn't exist anywhere else it sprung into being you see what i'm saying <laughs> dollars don't spring into being when we when we print new dollars the the value of dollars goes down. But they do. It's see, inflation. The, I, like you don't you no, don't the, I, they don't just pop into nowhere. They came from someone's pocket and they go in someone else's pocket. The like I said, this is apparently going to be a place where we are always going to disagree. But I, I'm just going to leave it at this, and you know, feel free to come back. At I'm obviously this. not an economist, folks. The, the, <laughs> the transaction created value in the middle where there was none before. You know, it's you you brought up the super soaker. And again, that's, this is my last example, but you have plastic. Nobody wants the plastic, right? You shape the plastic into a form that you can then sell and people buy it. I agree. Yes, they now they have do. a super soaker. Yep. They have something that they previously would have never wanted. And, and we can, Hey, you know, commercialism and all that stuff. It and they have traffic. $28 less. They, 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 but they have something that they consider worth $28. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? So and now so, Mattel has their $28. At no point did that value disappear. The question is, can they then take that super soaker and, and sell it for $26? Maybe they've lost a dollar or two. Well, you know what if I mean? it was anything it, like yeah. my super soakers, it looked pretty trashy after a month. And <laughs> you ain't getting full price out of it. That's for sure. Maybe seventeen fifty. <laughs> but anyway, let's let's talk about socialism for a minute, because I uh, I'm not a socialist. I'm not a capitalist. I, I fall somewhere in between. But um, there there are parts of socialism that make a lot of sense to me, especially when we're talking about medicine. Uh, but I'm the type of person that uh, that cares a lot for my fellow fellow people. And I believe that since we didn't choose to come here, you know, we didn't choose to be born. I believe we're all owed some basic level um, of necessity, whether that's access to clean water, shelter, 
uh, food, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, like the things that Nestle does, mm-hmm. um, you know, taking water in communities uh, is absolutely abhorrent to me. So, you know, my my views on socialism stem uh, from from that feeling. What is what is wrong with socialism? <laughs> what are the problems with socialism? Well, here's the thing. Like, so, and and as we you know just discussed in the last section, I see abuses as well. The problem is uh, the I, I feel the allure of socialism. Like, I, I see the temptation of socialism, but I think that ultimately um, those things lead us down the wrong path in a number of ways. The the first thing that I would bring up about socialism is it's just the hubris of socialism, right? <laughs> what so, do you mean? So we're we're we have, you know, the free like, market. Like, oh my God, how dare you think you could possibly care for people? No, 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 no. No, that's that's no no no. So we have the free market, right? And and it kind of helps us uh, you know, regulate the economy and 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 work out how things should work and drive innovation and what the free market basically represents is it represents thousands and thousands or you know hell millions of specialists right you might have a plumber that doesn't understand gdps that doesn't understand uh you know complex tax law and stuff but he understands what the value of unclogging a tub is Mm -hmm. you have a a guy who makes a chair that understands the value of a chair and the effort that goes into it and the hubris of socialism basically says that we can supplant the free market with learned individuals in this central location that will decide how we should adjust these things and that things now i don't again i want to go back to the distinction i made at the top of the show there is a difference between socialism and communism. And right here, I'm kind of riding that line. A lot of times you'll hear people, you know, when talking about socialism, bring up the fact that I think at some point the Soviet Union was attempting to set 24 million prices or something. <laughs> and when I say that, that's, you know, that's obviously laughable. Now, socialism, socialism doesn't have, you know, designs of largesse like that. You know, socialism understands that it, you can't achieve something like that. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't echoes of that. There aren't echoes of this, this intellectual or this one person or this group of people who are all the way over here no better than what is in, what is in effect a natural force. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They deem to say, we can predict this chaos and shape it way better than the natural forces that control it every day ever could. Like we discussed in the last section, it's not pure. The free market is by no means pure, but I say that it's closer. It's, it's a better version than having some committee. And I think that, I think that what, what people lose sight of at times is that we all sit around and we complain about politicians and we complain about bureaucrats and we complain about how government's not working, or we say government's in bed with these corporations. And then we say, so the best thing to do would be to turn our economy or this industry or that industry over to those same people. <laughs> and I'm saying like, well, when you put it that way, man, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, look at, look at things like, like police and fire. And this is, you know, this is tired and trotted out all the time in this argument, but, right. but I think it makes sense to, to do it. Can you imagine a system where, where police departments were privatized and yeah. run for profit? I mean, the, the lowest of the low would have no police protection and, and the highest of the high would have armed guards, you know, Blackwater, uh, patrol in their neighborhoods. And no, um, I, I know I can't. And that is actually why I'm not an ANCAP, right? 
Like I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree that there are certain things that we have to do together. And I also, you know, I also have this, like, uh, you know, this whole, um, once you've kind of gone down the road, you can't really always go back. Mm. So, you know, I often, I've, I've brought up on the show before, I think Rome and it's grain doles. Okay. And I kind of, I kind of equate that to, you know, social security and stuff. Once you set up. Tell uh, us about Rome and the grain doles oh, okay. for a second. So, Cause so, I don't think we've covered this okay. on the show. So at, at one point in Rome and, and, you know, pardon me, I'm a little spotty on names here, but there was a tribune, I believe who, uh, you know, kind of trying to jumpstart a populist wave and, and amass himself power. A, a Bernie Sanders of Rome. Sort of, sort of. But, but and, you know, I, I'm not a big Bernie fan, but this guy was, Bernie's a saint compared to this guy. Um, <laughs> but this dude, you know, straight up trying to manipulate people, instituted a grain dole. So everybody in Rome was going to get so much grain. The government was going to pay for it. And there was nothing that the Senate could do about it. Right, because he had because, so much popular yeah, support. It's, well, tribunes, it's it's a weird way that the the Roman uh, political offices interacted. But the tribune was like you know chosen by the people and stuff, and so he had these some in some ways he could supersede the Senate. So the Senate couldn't stop it. Well, what happened was that grain dole never went away, never went away. Good, there people were ate. times, but there were times Rome was fed where it was quite literally crushing Rome to try to keep up with that grain dole. And any time mm. that they were like, you know, for instance, there was a great fire in the time of Nero, uh, you know, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, not Claudius, Caligula. Caligula was crazy and, you know, just spent all the money. And, you know, they were straight like broke. And there were times where Rome needed to pull back the grain dole to kind of get their finances in order, in order to do other things like aqueducts and roads and stuff like that. And they couldn't do it. Because the second they talked about trying to pull back that grain dole, the people were ready to revolt. They were mm. like, absolutely not. You're not taking our grain dole. So I, I get that that's basically what we've done with Social Security. And I'm not saying that Social Security doesn't you know, provide some good. But what I'm saying is we need to think long and hard before we do these things because once you do them, that's it. Yeah, a lot of times you you can't go back, and I, I could see that situation directly. You know, maybe Social Security isn't such a great example, but like say we institute a UBI where right. everyone gets three thousand dollars a month uh, from the government. Yeah. Um. You you know you go two years, three years down that road, four, five, six, seven, eight years down that road, and and you're right, we're probably there's never no going back. There's never coming back from that. And and you know you and I have talked about UBI before, and I, I'm I'm on the fence. I feel like. Um, that would go a long way towards providing those basic necessities that I feel like humans are owed just by being born. Um, you know, enough money to have shelter. You know, we eliminate the homeless problem. Enough, enough money to have food on the table. Right. Enough money to have clean water. Um, you know, those three things I feel like are are something we can easily provide to every human on the planet. Um, I, I think it would go a long way. But what are you know? What are some of the problems? I know you see a lot of kind right. of long-term problems with instituting so for that me, level. I want to try to achieve those same things. I want people in houses. I want people fed. I want people to have clean water. But I want to do every single possible thing we can think of before we do the UBI. And here's why. Because once you institute a UBI, all these other you know ancillary issues that I don't think people always have on the forefront of their mind pop up. And that's the thing is like I feel in a sense – that it's an emotional, it's an emotional thing. Like I want to feed these people. I want to, I want to make sure that they have housing and stuff. So I don't think anybody is, 
wide scale. I don't think the masses, when they hear the term UBI, those who are hip to you know what's going on, are thinking about political implications. Think about the political implications down the road if we basically create what is, in effect, a caste system and have a segment of people who choose to work and still receive the UBI and a segment of people who do not work and receive the UBI. My first question is, do the people who don't work and receive the UBI, do they get to vote on the UBI increases? <laughs> of course they do. You can't take their voting privileges, can you? I mean, ah, but, but do you think it would be hard to do? Do you think if I'm a part of the producers and I, and I, you know, I gather them up or I'm a, I'm a Donald Trump type figure and I say, hey, these guys aren't helping, you know, I mean, they're just doing whatever they want. They're useless eaters. And yeah, they're useless eaters. Why are we letting them vote on how much money that we're giving them? You know, I, if you look at history, right, you'll often see that where you see totalitarian regimes and authoritarian regimes are places where the government has natural resources and don't need people to work for it to have a productive society. Hmm. So think about all the countries that, you know, ship oil and stuff. They're, all they have to do is keep a small band of mercenaries basically happy that will protect them should the people rise up. That's the only people that they really have to placate. Meanwhile, places that require people to get out and work and stuff, they tend to have more democratic forms of government. So I think that as much as it sucks to say, you really only have as, no, as much usefulness to your government as what you can produce. And for, for your government. Yeah, and we're talking about creating a segment of the population that won't produce. That's true. And, 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 it, and presumably with automation um, and, and with, with technology taking off, and presumably uh, people would be attracted, some people would be attracted to that lifestyle. Right. You know, okay, I can sit on the couch and play video games and smoke pot all day. Yeah. And I get my three grand. I can eat my, you know, eat my Hardee's and my Wendy's and okay. Um, so presumably that population would grow as well. Right. Um, although I, I like to think that the allure of, of, of rising up, um, you know, would, would keep innovation going, um, you know, would keep, would keep people coming out of this UBI system into greater wealth. You know, they still want to drive a Ferrari. How can you do that? Well, you innovate, you go you right. know, start a company, you go provide a service, you go do that. extra. Um, yeah, you go do that extra. Exactly. So I, I feel like a bit of that's like gloom and doom. And, and I'm thinking about like, how hard would it be to claw back voting rights from the American populace? I mean, we're talking about the populace that got voting rights for women, uh, the populace that that clawed back voting rights for slaves. Hell, uh, it, it, America initially uh, only only landowners, the wealthy landowners, had voting rights. Yeah, but bro, when did when did all those people get rights? Right? I don't know. You so, tell me. So as I'm as not the, the country, here, as the country started to industrialize more, that's when non landowners started to get voting rights. When the slaves were freed and went out into the workforce. That's when they got voting rights. Mm. Well, it's kind of spotty on when they got voting rights. Women got voting rights as they became a larger portion of the labor pool. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So you're is, saying that gave them leverage it now. It gave them They're leverage. like, hey, I pay taxes. Yeah. I'm, uh, if, if I'm providing got, here. If you've got women staffing the factories all up and down the Northeast, which you know was the case at the time, uh, then they go on strike for the vote. That's a huge damn problem. Mm. But now if they don't work, if they just, you know, sit at home and smoke pot, you know what I mean? How do they, how do they wrestle anything from the government? I mean, you're pretty much down to armed revolt. 
And at that point, you've got one half of the, you know, one portion of the population that is they're like, well, we're working. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if we got your back on this. Yeah. Everything's going fine for me, you know? So it, it, like I said, it's something that I don't think people are considering in their rush to try to help people. And I think what's interesting is one of the places that kind of that kind of reinforces that idea of you know what would happen would we would we become like Star Trek where everyone turned into artists and and, and dreamers and philosophers Heck yeah, and we all would. that stuff you know well here's the thing Star Trek has replicators right which which a replicator is something that can just bring matter into yeah, existence will you know, food into however existence. the hell that works on Star Trek beans oh go nuts um, but anyway. In Denmark, what you have is you have two, you have a very strong social welfare state. But one of the things to keep in mind is that you have a UBI and you also have free college tuition. Okay. Right now, Denmark, who has traditionally had one of the, the brightest economies in the world, um, they are struggling, straight up struggling. Almost half of the top 10 countries in Denmark are begging for qualified labor for their companies. Why is that? a large portion of the Danish kids are going to school and being in school for 10, 12 years, 13 years, majoring in things like saxophone, stuff like that. So (laughs) you majoring in the liberal arts. Yeah, absolutely. You do not have, you're not producing the engineers and the chemists and and whatnot. Aren't there ways to solve those problems though? I mean, aren't aren't there ways to, to encourage people uh, to become engineers, uh, surely, you know, uh, there's you a can, shortage of engineers. Um, I can't imagine the money, you know, the salaries for engineers isn't enough, uh, isn't enough to, to get people up and, well, and doing it. Here's you the know? thing you've muted. Someone doesn't want a bigger house or a better car, or, but you've muted the impact of that salary because their basic needs are met mm, without that salary. Mm. So, so now it does become more of a question of what I want to do. And don't get me wrong. I understand how nefarious that sounds when you say it. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm basically saying that people doing what they want to do, because <laughs> Denmark is one of the happiest places on earth. There you go. Yeah, it's mean, absolutely one of the happiest places and isn't on that, earth. Isn't that a metric we want to like... Un- until <laughs> their economy crumbles, by? their tax, tax base shrinks, and they can't pay for this shit anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the problem. Like, yes, now it's great. You know, another interesting thing about Denmark, and I'll, and I'll get off it because... Here's the thing. I only want to talk about the Nordic countries when we talk about socialism as much as the socialism side wants to bring it up. You know what I mean? Like, so I think America is different. I think America has different demographics. We have a different situation. Yeah. We're nested in a different economy. Yeah. Yeah. But every time I hear, well, the Nordic countries do it, then, okay, let's talk about the damn Nordic country. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the thing about Denmark is... Denmark had a strong economy before they instituted, you know, the, the strong social programs that they have. And then what did we see? We saw shortly after that, 20 years after that, uh, it was running them dry. It was running them broke. So they, they reevaluated. They said, we've got to bring that back to a more reasonable place. They, they tweaked things, fixed things. Yeah. And, and they got to a more, a more reasonable place. However, now with these, these kids in college, I think we're starting to see some of the long-term effects on human psychology, some of the, the structural things to a strong social state like that, that will eventually lead, you know, to other problems. You've also got a case in Denmark where um, 
they have instituted laws. And in fairness, this was a right wing, uh, a more right wing for Denmark uh, party that came to power. And they instituted laws where some of the, the lower income areas of the country, they have designated them ghettos. Mm-hmm. All right. And these are places where you'll find, uh, you know, heavy influxes of Muslim migrants. And they've said that if you live in one of these ghettos, your child has to go for 25 hours a week, not including nap time, to a, a, a educational program that will teach them how to be a good Dane. Yeah, re-education camp. Yeah, I mean, Christmas and Easter and all that stuff. And if you do not do that, they will revoke your benefits. Mm. So, you know, we start to see the authoritarian side come into play and everything. But I, that's, I think people like to gloss over that stuff, and they also like to gloss over the fact that Denmark is, is even rated by, like, the Heritage Foundation is one of the freest market countries in the world. I mean, largely, one of the reasons that any of that is possible is because, you know, a huge company like Lego is employing all sorts of Danes and paying them well. And, and, and can- Lego is one of those companies that, that I feel like just extracts capital. Usually they're selling 10 cents worth of plastic for, you know, $80 because they have a Star Wars license. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I guess that's where you're saying it's, it's creating value. But but again, it's a, it's a Danish company. That that money is being paid to Danish employees, and and they're paying taxes on that, 56%. which goes towards yeah. you know the Danish welfare state, yeah. which has increased their their happiness. Well, you know? which is all well and good until Lego is struggling for employees, mm. which they're one of those companies that I named, and then Lego starts to slip. And when Lego starts to slip because you know they're struggling to find employees, then you start to have all sorts of problems. Right. You know what I mean? So like it, it kind of, and, and you know, while we're on the issue of let, let's, let's bring it back to America for a second. Cause you know, we talked about colleges got away from it for a second. So a lot of people were saying now let's do free college tuition. Sure. Right. It's, it's again, to me, you're, you're throwing, you're throwing bad after bad, right? Because in my opinion, and it's backed up by quite a bit of data, the fact that we subsidize college education right now, is why college educations cost so much. Oh, that's it's one of the reasons. I, I think it's, I think when everyone has the three thousand dollars in their pocket to pay, you know, to to pay tuition, of course tuition's gonna rise because again they can charge what they want. They, they can charge what the market will bear. Right. So now all these people have this money to wave around and you know they're gonna pick a college. Yep. So the cheap ones are gonna raise their rates and the expensive ones are gonna raise their rates. Yeah. Know, and everyone's fighting for their share of that pie. We see we see similar things with the kind of wonky ways that like rent control affects housing shortages and stuff like that, which leads back, you know, both those things, both the college and the rent control, lead back to what I was talking about with the hubris of socialism. So no, we're not talking about a communist country that's trying to set 24 million prices, but invariably we see instances where when government interferes, it, it, it often creates results that it never wanted. Right. And, and can you mitigate them? And, and now you're saying, no, but this time we'll figure it out. This time we'll do it the right way so that, so that we don't completely screw everything up. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just how long do you trust something like yeah, well, I, I think that's a it's a good question. It's a hard question to answer. Um, yeah. I feel like when when Denmark ran into trouble, they reevaluated, they restructured. You know, mm-hmm. they shuffled things around and they fixed it. They made it work. Um, I think that's what we do in any system. You know, ideally, when we see capitalism's failings, um, we try to implement strategies to to move around them. But wait a minute. But is that what we see? That's that's the thing. Is like I'm all for that. 
right? I'm all for fixing what's ill with capitalism. But you're not all for fixing what's ill with socialism when those problems come up? Because I think I see, to me, I see the way to fix what's wrong with capitalism as far as decoupling governments from business. I think that's one of the main ways you fix what's wrong with capitalism. With socialism, I see things that are baked in. Baked in, man. And, 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 and like I said, the, the Denmark, the choice of majors, that's, that's one of them. It creates, it goes against what we've done. It for disincentivizes. So I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Um, being uncomfortable is the main driver to move forward, right? right? right. I mean, it's the main driver of inter- innovation is being uncomfortable. So if we create a society that is largely comfortable then what reason do people have to get up and do things? You know, they don't. Yeah. And I, and you're right there. Um, at the same time, I feel like there's people out there. I don't know. My cousin's a perfect example. Um, she will work for the sake of working. Mm-hmm. Um, she is never comfortable. You know, she can't sit down and watch a movie without doing three things at once. You know, she's knitting, she's doing wood projects. She's remodeling her house while she's, you know, she can't do nothing. So I think right. those people aren't in danger of going away. I think as we see automation take over tasks, um, you know, in farming, um, in, in, in labor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think we're going to end up with a large pool of people who, even if they wanted to contribute meaningful work, can't, they don't have anywhere to, you know, so, so what happens at that point? And that's, that may be far, far off. And and maybe we see things well, like with the industrial revolution, I think where other things come into play and provide, you know, yes, meaning if work. there is a driver, I think those people will find ways to create value. But if we take away the driver, then no, I think, I think we become more static. It's kind of like we were talking earlier with prescription drug prices. That's not to say, keep them cheap and stuff. <laughs> keep <laughs> That's not to say that, that, you know, were we to socialize medicine, that there would never be innovation. It's to say that we would be much closer to stagnant or static Mm. than we would be to progressing and moving forward. You know what I mean? Like, I think, and, and, and you're not too far from a Wally type situation where people are just kicked back. When you're talking about progressing and moving forward, I mean, what are your metrics there? Where are the goalposts for, for forward momentum? I mean, are we talking about GDP? Are we talking about wealth? Um, are we talking about the happiness index? Yes. Because I think if we're talking about the happiness index, you know, Denmark's moving forward pretty darn fast yeah. compared to America, compared to capitalist America. Right, um, right. But, 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 largely, but largely, again, due to how free their market is. Right. And so I think that when we look around the globe and we see that capitalism is, in fact, bringing us up, we see a trend over the last, you know, hundred years or whatever. Uh, people in Africa, they're, they're getting more wealthy. There's more development stuff. And that is born of that drive, that capitalism, that, that greed, that need to go out there and acquire things and find a way to add value to this economy so that I can have something better and all that stuff. And then that brings this person up because now he's going to work for me and he has an opportunity to have something better. And it continues that, on and so forth. That is an interesting point that I, that I think gets lost, um, especially when we're talking about like one, the 1% and, and the Occupy movement. Um, and we talk about the shrinking and disappearing middle class in America. Um, I think that's a point that gets lost is that largely the world's poorest people 
are acquiring better and better standards of living faster than they ever have in the history of the yeah, world. You I mean, know, that's, that's pretty undisputable. You know, you know what's interesting about the shrinking and disappearing middle class? Do you realize that of the portion, we've lost 10% of the middle class over the last 40 years. Do you realize 7% of that 10% went to the upper middle class? Really? That's why the middle class shrunk. No. That's, 4%. That can't be true. Dude, you're four, blowing smoke. Where man. do you th- feel free to look it up? 4% went down. Is that just by income? I'm sorry. I mean, so it was six. Yes. 4% went down. That, 6% went up. That, that that's based on like overall wealth profile. Well, I mean, you've I got, see wait a minute, wait a income. minute. So you've got, you've got, now you do still have, uh, an increasing, uh, uh, disparity, you know, between the middle class and the upper and the upper tiers. You do still have that. You still have, uh, uh, Black men, especially not not black women, interestingly, but black men have a much more likely to fall down the economic ladder than move up. There are still all sorts of problems. But to just toss out the stat that the middle class has shrunk and not mention that some of that is due to the fact that there was upwards mobility mm. is incredibly dishonest. So if you, you know, I, I urge the listeners, feel free to go look it up. There's a lot of people that debate and and go back and forth on what constitutes the middle class what constitutes moving up what you know sure we we can but that's what i'm saying you some portion of that is people that went up mm. you know i mean that that's one of the things that i think gets lost and i think that what so it is a question of that we're trying to <laughs> it's it's perfect that i'm going to say this in the last episode of this year but uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is one of our catchphrases. But it's, um, I, I think that is what's happening with capitalism to an extent. And I point to something like Medicaid for all. Once again, I understand people's strong emotional need to to comfort the sick, man, to provide for the ill. Well, I think when you're when you're at risk of your kid, you know, having something happen to him, and you've got to. $200,000 medical bill. Right. I think everyone can agree. That's a problem. Everyone can agree. And I, I, to tell you the truth, I've got somebody in my family who is chronically ill, breaks my heart every day that like she, she can't get access to insurance. And, 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 and it hurt me that, uh, you know, there was Obamacare and it, and it looked like, you know, she was going to be able to get access to something. And, but they had a Republican governor down in Florida mm. and she wasn't able, you know, and, and it hurts. And it's actually, it's shifted my perspective quite a bit. Um, because there's things that I just can't deny uh, regarding socializing medicine, that there is a need for it, that things are so broke right now with medicine that we've got to do something, right? Yeah. Because we, we just don't have time for it to fix itself through other means. However, okay, Bernie recently has come out with the Medicaid for all package. He put it, or Medicare for all, it's one or the other. Uh, he had uh, you know, put it into Congress. It's, it's not going to pass a Republican Senate as it stands. But it's out there now. That plan is going to cost thirty-two trillion over ten years. If you doubled, if you doubled corporate tax rates and doubled the tax rates on the wealthiest individuals, you still would not pay for it. Okay, and that—that's kind of absurd. It's hard to believe where you get those numbers. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And that is a—that is a more conservative estimate. But one that was that was held up by both a conservative uh, institute and a liberal one. They both came to the thirty-two trillion. Uh, well, I number. think if 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 we're still paying if if 
if wealth is being improperly extracted from the medical industry, which it is, I mean, I, I, Mm. it is absolutely. Uh, my wife had breast cancer and, uh, you know, had some, had some benefits and the company that sold all of the, uh, all of the, the, the bras and the things, you know, uh, would call her every month and make sure she spent every penny that was due to her. And she stopped taking the calls after a while. Cause she was like, I don't need any of these things. Yeah. You know, they want to give me three bras a month and you know, this a month and that a month. And they were making tons of money on it and mm-hmm. they knew how much her benefits were and they were, they, and they were hiring people to go extract that. So I think yeah. that cost that, that $32 trillion or whatever it is, $40 trillion, um, it can be shrunk. <laughs> we need to fix the problems well, that, where where wealth is improperly being extracted from the system before we socialize medicine. But that, at the very least, but that thirty two trillion is the shrunk number. That thirty two trillion involves a forty percent reduction in in doctor charges, like you know, in no medical kidding. charges across the board. Uh, that thirty two trillion uh, is counting on was it $1.4 billion in saved administration costs? Like, wow. You know what I'm saying? So it's got all those things factored in. Here's, here's the thing about the Medicare for all is so when I, I've seen like, you know, newscasts or whatever, where they'll hit like Ocasio-Cortez or they'll hit Bernie and they'll be like, you know, even if we double taxes, it's still not going to pay for it. And, and this is what they end up saying. They say, well, other countries do it. We should be able to figure it out. <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. Medicare for all, goes farther than everybody except Cuba. Wow. Medicare for all goes farther than England does. does. Do people realize that? So this is what I'm saying. There are places where I, as a, as, a, as a fiscal conservative free market dude, are willing to compromise with you. There are places where I'm re- willing to cross the aisle. I'm willing to explore new ideas. I'm, I'm willing to hear any suggestion. Well, I got a suggestion for you. That is a wholesale, that is a wholesale swap out and saying, we're just going to socialize medicine hardcore, period. And, and it's, it's a move away from capitalism, which is what gets us to this place to begin with. Yeah, You can't have the conversation about all these people paying these sorts of taxes. If, so, you know, once you, how much does the, the amount of money that people are making off of the medical industry, how much does that impact the tax base when you drop it by 40%? So, you know, we're saying we're going to double taxes now and not be able to pay for it. Well, you're about to huge cut into medical profit. Yeah. How much is that going to affect the tax base that's able to pay for that program? Well, I don't know. Are we going to make them take their money out of the tax havens? <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> the that's, massive that's, amount. That's a good point. <laughs> you know? Like, I wonder if they're counting that in. I doubt it because no, probably those laws aren't in place right now. Right. So all these massive cash stores that are untapped and untaxed are, you know, yep. just sitting there. So, you know, I think... I think there's probably ways to pay for it. You know, does Medicare for all do it? Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Um, hopefully someone figures it out though. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be willing to listen to a good idea. Cause like I said, I think, I think we've reached a point where we could use some form of socializing. I, I, I do. And I say that as somebody who strongly believes in the free market, but I think I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and point fingers. And I will try to say this in the most neutral way that I possibly can. I think that currently our system is so jacked up that it's the only way forward. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty neutral, right? Okay. So with all that in mind, um, yeah, man, like hit me with it. I mean, like I said, I'm willing to listen to ideas. What kind of ideas have you got? 
Well, uh-huh. I'm not. I'm not a socialist, and and I. Well, I do think socialism has its place, obviously. Plus fifteen. In, in, <laughs> in all sorts of areas, but um, I think we could start by doing a lot to rein in the excesses of of capitalism. Uh, you know, one of those things is ending tax shelters and tax havens for corporations who are storing huge amounts of cash um, offshore and and off the grid. Absolutely. Um, you know, that cash is not being used to innovate. It's not being it's not moving in the economy. It's benefiting no one. It's, you know, saved for a rainy day. It's right. crazy. Um, all these, all these companies, we've all heard about the huge companies with a, you know, $0 tax liability, GE mm-hmm. and stuff. We've got to stop that. It has to end, man. Yeah. It's, it's got to. Um, the country needs that money. I don't care. Yeah. The country needs that no, money. No, I, I fully, I fully support like not, not, you know, just grinding your corporations down with taxes and stuff, but we've taken it so far the other we have way. Taken of course, it we can far to yeah. the extreme. Yeah, there's something yeah. to something to be said for for incentivizing companies to to innovate in your country. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Um at the same time, there's no reason for a multi-billion dollar corporation to have a zero dollar tax liability. It's crazy. Right, right. Um we have got, we have got to do some lobby reform. We mm-hmm. have to get money out of politics. It serves no one but the most moneyed elite um, to have this situation where where money buys political influence. It's it's mm-hmm. it's the enemy of of everything that is good. You know, yeah. it's got to end. Um, I would love to see some sort of system of like capping uh, CEO wages. You know, like Japan does. I think they can make twenty times what the lowest paid employee does. Yeah. Um. I I, I don't know. I personally. Again, I think, you know, I think that puts a little bit too much emphasis on like what the guy at the top is necessarily making. But let me let me let me counter that one with another idea. What if instead of doing that, we tied the the workers wages to the stock price? The same way the CEOs. So because the CEO, most of their pay is tied to the stock price. Mm. Yeah. So Mm. if we if we find the right ratio now, the CEO, you know, we've given him the incentive to be greedy and make the company perform and da, 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 da. Well, the workers are going to benefit from that as well. I like that. You get you kind of get double double bonus there because now the workers are incentivized to make the business run well as right. well to raise their wages. I like that. I'd like to see what that looks like if people are doing yeah, it. You know? I think I think it quite possibly, yeah, it gets the guy sweeping floors to really care about how clean the <laughs> floors are. In addition to, you know, the CEO for sure. Yeah, I like that. Um I'd also really like to see um, you know, we've we've had this whole thing with Amazon relocating uh to New York. And you've got New York offering these huge tax benefits, you know, millions of dollars in tax benefits to this giant company uh, because it wants the jobs and stuff. I think we've got to stop that. I don't know yeah. how I, it's got it. It's got to end. Um, and I understand that as long as we allow that to happen, some state out there, some city out there is going to make that concession because they right. need the jobs for their people. But I think it it hurts us all. It no, takes- I, I absolutely agree. And I think you you honestly, you see that with the way that sports sports franchises relocate. And what they do is they put these cities in bidding wars. You know, they're going to pay this much for the stadium. That place is going to pay that much for the stadium. And the NFL is the only game in town. So right. you don't really have the choice to go somewhere else to get a football team. So if you want a football team, that's the same thing that's happening here. It's not cool when the sports franchises do it. And I think for me, while while I'm totally cool with us instituting a law, I th- that 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 puts that into place where you can't do that as a, as a government and everything. I also think that us as voters, until that law is in place, 
need to reject that every time. Every, every time. single time. I right. don't care if it's for the Bengals or who it's for. Every time for we reject that. We've got to say, look, Amazon. these, these 20,000 jobs just aren't worth it because, yeah. you know, this is, this is detrimental to, to society as a whole. Right. Um, I think, I think those things together would have a huge impact on saving things like social security on, yeah. on possibly giving us a better chance at some sort of, uh, you know, socialized medicine. Yeah. Um, I think, Things like that could possibly save Kentucky's pension problems. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, if we did not offer these tax incentive financing deals and stuff willy nilly left and right, would that money be in the coffers for pensions? You know, maybe so. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the fact that it's not there is 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 just wrong to me. You're you're you know you're again you're socializing uh, profits for for the for the wealthy. Right. And right. I, I you know I don't think that's. <laughs> I would. Uh, I, all those, all those initiatives, uh, sound fine to me. I would also couple that with, um, to me, I, you know, like I've always said, if we can cut back military spending, if we can cut back waste and fraud and abuse and spending here and there and stuff, then that gives us a bigger pool of money. And then maybe it doesn't hurt to up Medicare or Medicaid or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Then when you're not wasting your money, you know, just down black holes to buy $7,000 hammers or what was it for the Air Force? You know, six thousand dollar coffee cups, ninety dollar screws. See, I, I've heard yeah. that what you didn't hear about that hammer was like it was a pneumatic, you oh, know, sure special supersonic hammer that like <laughs> vibrated at resonant frequencies. That yeah, you didn't I, have to swing it to, to hammer in the nails. I don't, know? I don't have one in my job, and I'm fixing things just fine. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think if if in places, uh, you know, if if we can get to me, if we can come together. And, and if I say, look, man, I'm, I need to contract here. I need to pull back funds here. We will put it there. You know what I'm saying? If we can agree on that together, if we can have a conversation like you and I just did, you know, I mean, last night, you're right. We did come close to yelling at each other. We, we we've were had pretty this, heated. We've had this conversation all that many times <laughs> yeah. and we've come really close to yelling at each other. But if we can find that place where we overlap, that place where we're willing to concede and everything. We will find a way forward, you know, a blend of these two ideals. Yeah. And I think we've got to, because like you said, with automation, you know, on the horizon, with just looking at the human race and how we've progressed over the centuries, like it's an issue that has to be solved. Populations exploding. I yeah. Mean, golly, absolutely. Man, billions. And it's not stopping anytime soon. Um, so I think that pretty much wraps it up for today. We covered most of the things we wanted to talk about, of course, with an hour-long episode, hour-ish. Uh, we're never going to cover everything, but I think we've reached that point in the episode. We're going to kick it over to our fact-checker extraordinaire. Don't ask any questions about how he is that and not the host of the show. Beanzo, you about to rip us a new one, buddy? Like it never even happened. It was just a figment of the listeners' collective imaginations that a much more entertaining and wildly popular show graced their eardrums last week. Two guys that'll sit here and rail about the sanctity of our elections, just gonna go full blackout and subvert the will of the people? Man, whatever. Wait till my lawyers get a hold of this. All right, where are we at? Sense is stupid. Not just for denying my raw talent, but for that bogus pharmaceutical profit number. The industry rakes in $125 billion a year. He's arguably a bigger detriment to society than Jeff Bezos, who actually makes $191,000 a minute because at least Bezos gives the people what they want. Theory's another fraud. 
He'll help you make a political ad and tell you he's a Supreme Court buff. Then he'll knife you in the back. Sure, he can remember that one time in an episode when you say somebody's name wrong, but can't remember that it was Justice Potter Stewart who said in regards to hardcore pornography in the case Jacob Ellis v. Ohio, I'll know it when I see it. How else can I help you do your job, Mr. Research Machine? Oh, why correcting your malicious attempt to steal mine? You don't say. Yeah, theory. Both senators and representatives make 174000 a year. But no, keep on trying to correct sense when you don't even know the truth. Integrity, ha, to hell with the economy. This show is a zero-sum game. You intellectually bankrupt halfwits are extracting mine and the listeners' valuable time, and we aren't even getting strawberries or chickens. Just your half-cock bull. Stay calm. Everything will be A-OK. Freedom is slavery. Podcasts are truthful. The drone is soothing. Back to the show. Well, clearly, uh, yeah, we all need a break. Yes, uh, we do. I think that is, uh, that is very much so evidenced by that being Seth. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, guys, this was the final episode of 2018. It should come out on or around Thanksgiving, but I'll tell you what. We're just going to go and say happy holidays to everybody, yes, whatever indeed. holidays you keep. There's no war on Thanksgiving after all. <laughs> That's right. And uh, also, you know, we want to thank everybody uh, over the past year, everybody who has listened to the episodes, liked us on you know Twitter and Facebook, all you guys in the discussion group, all the people following along on Twitter and commenting on we stuff. We have got a five-star rating on iTunes. I think we're up to like 15 star yep. ratings now. Thank you, guys. We love the reviews. We love the retweets. Uh, we like the likes. We like the follows. Uh, most importantly, we like all of you. So Hopefully yeah. you'll stick around. Uh, and hey, actually, uh, I think we might even be accepting resumes for a new fact checkers. We so are what? absolutely <laughs> accepting resumes for a new fact checker. Yeah. And I think even uh, early next year, I think we're going to get Taylor Swift on the show, man. You you really are stupid. <laughs> is world-class producer and fact checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the sense and theory podcast i want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns i drop on the fellas please go like and review us on itunes it'll mean a lot to the guys but more importantly it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air there's links to all our social media in the description and feel free and tell the fellas how wrong they were at sense and theory podcast at gmail.com Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in they feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beans are out.